Well, good morning. Welcome to the jar. Let me begin by saying one word. Reveal. It's a spiritual life uh, inventory that we're trying to get everyone to fill out. You can go on thejar.org and you can fill out the survey. It takes about 15 minutes. We have 41 people so far that have taken it. And whether it's your first time here or you've been here a long time, we'd love for you to fill this out. Um, tomorrow, it'll kind of cut us off. So we want you to do that. Well, are you ready this morning? Okay, you're supposed to say ready. Ready, okay. Because we have a lot to cover and a short time to do it. Uh, today we're going to end our series called Road Trip. And we're going to be looking at uh, one particular thing, which is uh, how we reach out to other people. Now, we started this series at the beginning of the year. And uh, how many people were here on the first Sunday of the year? Once you raise your hand. Okay? Folks, that's called retention. And uh, that's a good thing. Okay? Um, churches work best when people come back. Uh, when they don't, it doesn't work as well. So we're glad that you're here today. Um, anyone want to take a, a, a little John at this? How many of you were here every single Sunday since we started the series? Any braggers out there? Okay, good. Uh, we're proud of you. God does not love you anymore, okay, than the rest of us. You just know a lot more than the rest of us. So thank you for being a part of the journey. Well, personally, I have loved this series. I've really enjoyed it. And I think it's because we've kind of come back to some of the Christian basics of trying to figure out uh, things like prayer, Bible study, serving, small group life. Now, everything that we've learned in the first five weeks and that we'll talk about today, I knew was important. In fact, I knew that within the first, uh, you know, first year of me becoming a follower of Christ when I was 12 years old. I knew how important those things were. But I learned that as I've gotten older, just because you know something doesn't necessarily mean you're doing it. You know what I mean? Like you know certain things, you just don't do it sometimes. And so this has really challenged me. The first week, we looked at prayer. And as we were talking about prayer, I was really challenged to pray more. And the second week, we talked about reading the Bible. And uh, I read the Bible each day, but I noticed that in my marriage, that Jennifer and I weren't reading the Bible together. We prayed in the morning, we prayed at night, but we didn't read the Bible together. And so when we started this kind of email a devotional journey through the Bible where you get an email Monday through Friday, we were uh, really encouraged. And I said, you know what, I'm going to print it off each night and we'll read it together as a couple. And I just want to tell you that if you're married, I would strongly encourage you to do this together because it is a wonderful, powerful tool to help you in your marriage. Now, some of you might be here for the first time. You're like, what are you talking about? journey through the Bible and uh, this whole email thing. Well, you can decide today that you want to kind of go through the Bible each day. It takes you about five minutes and we'll send you an email with a scripture verse, a devotion, and a short little prayer. And if you're uh, a person that's like, well, I don't want to pray out loud with my spouse, you can just read it. You know, it's like two sentences. And uh, it's a great way to do that. So you can sign up at the Connections table. Some of you might want to write it on the back of your hand because you'll forget here in a few minutes. But say, I want to be a part of reading uh, Journey Through the Bible. 
Another thing I've learned is the importance of small groups. Uh, our small group this week added a new member. A couple in our small group had a little baby boy, Cole Michael. And it was just cool to see this small group of people start deciding that they were going to get food and they were going to have balloons and flowers and all kinds of stuff. And I was really excited, mainly because I'm going to have a child in May. And I figured that, you know, they're getting a good start. They'll screw this couple up, but by the time they get to us, you know, uh, we'll have like a five-course dinner or something. We also talked about serving uh, last week. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was playing basketball on our church uh, basketball team, and I sprained my ankle. There are some mean men in this place, especially when they're on the basketball court. So I sprained my ankle. I went to go get an x-ray, and uh, the person that helped me through that whole lengthy uh, paper process was named Brenda. And I was talking to Brenda. She had just started back to uh, work. She might be here today. I don't know. And uh, I was talking to her. And in the midst of the process, I kind of felt this prompting that I should ask her, can I serve you in any way? And uh, I felt this prompting that I should invite her to church. And so like any faithful pastor, I got scared and didn't do anything. And so it kind of weighed on me all week. And so the next week, or in a couple of days, uh, we were talking about serving. I was like, man, you can't screw up a bunch. So I went back to where this place was, and I brought a little car or a little jar of candy, and I gave it to her, and I said, is there any way that I can serve you? And then I invited her to church. You know what I was thinking was, I would have never done that if that's not what we weren't talking about uh, as a church. I would have never felt that challenge to kind of go and do that. And uh, that was a very encouraging thing for me. So, as we close this series, I'd like us to, one last time, kind of share the four goals, not just for the series, but the entire kind of uh, year as we align ourselves closer to God in 09. So, behind me, there will come up uh, some uh, our four goals, and we'll say them together, okay? Let's say the first one together. Spend time, that means all of us when I say together, okay? Let's do it again. Spend time with God. Set aside ten minutes a day to talk to God through prayer and reading the Bible. That's what we talked about the first two weeks. Let's do the second one. Okay? Share in community. Regularly attend Sunday celebrations. Be a part of a small group with ten other people. And that's what we talked about in week three and four. Let's do the next one. Serve the church. Find a way that you can use your talents to serve in the church. And that's what we talked about last week. If you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, you can get a free CD uh, of any of the teachings or you can go online. You can listen to any of these. Now today we want to talk about kind of our fourth goal. And let's read it together. Seek out. Pray for two people who are not connected with Christ or the church. And that's what we want to talk about today, is this fourth uh, value. If you would, I'd like you to pull out this little card that was in your program. Once you have it, you can put it up high and proud, and uh, I'll uh, share with you what we're going to do with this. (coughs) 
Now, this is just a little card. It's a basic... Good job. See, one person actually did... No, okay, you're good now. But what this is is a card. And what I'd like you to do is to put your first and last name. It's no soliciting thing. We're not going to bug you. And if you don't know what your last name is, ask the person beside you. Maybe they know, you know. And put that down. And then what I'd like you to do is think of two people who are disconnected from Christ or the church and uh, that you'd put their names down. And one of these people is either going to be a family or a friend. Okay, don't be an overachiever and put two names down. Just one. Pick a family person or a friend. And the other one is going to be a co-worker or a neighbor. Not both, just one. And you're going to have the rest of the celebration to kind of do this. So if you're not doing it right now, um, you'll have time to do that through this, uh, through this time. Everyone got this? I see head shaking. Okay. And uh, you'll have time to do that. In fact, right now, I'm going to ask God, rather than you doing it yourself, to give you what those two names are. So why don't we pause and pray here just for a second. God, I pray right now that you would reveal in these next few minutes the names of the person that you want each person to write down of people who are disconnected from you. Two people that they connect with weekly, not people who live in another far state or a uh, relative that uh, they never see, but people that they are connecting with on a weekly basis. And God, I pray right now that during these next few minutes that you would kind of speak to their hearts clearly the names of the people that that you want them to write down. And God, then I ask that you give them the strength to really pray for these people throughout this next year and to build a relationship with them. That sometime in this next year, Lord, these two people might come to you. They might know of the amazing love that you have for them and that their lives would be changed as they connect in this place called the jar. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now hold on to this card. Don't put it somewhere else. But as we go through, this is the one Sunday you can ignore me. Just say, Bunch, sorry, I wasn't listening, but I was, you know, writing down somebody's name, okay? So uh, we'll get to that in just a second. Now as we jump into kind of our final teaching of this series, I would like to begin by asking the question that I think many of you have, and it's this. What is the key to a successful road trip with God? What's the key to a successful, healthy relationship with God? And the answer is this. Understand the journey never ends. You just understand that this journey never ends. You see, regardless of whether you just kind of started connecting with God uh, at the beginning of the year, or you've been doing uh, a connection with God for a long, long time, the reality is it never ends. Your journey with God never ends. But rather, what God wants us to do as we're going down this journey is that we would reach out a helping hand to someone else and lead them into the relationship that God has blessed us with. So any two people who might be a little bit behind you are open game that you connect with weekly to say, you know what, I'm just going to reach out to them and kind of help them through this process. Because the pinnacle of the Christian faith is this, folks. You want to understand what it's all about? It comes down to this. Leading another traveler into a relationship with God. You're just leading another traveler 
into a relationship with God. That you lead that person as you're traveling along into a relationship. There is no mountaintop experience that I've had in my life more than seeing a person have the abundance of God in their life. And it's not just for pastors, it's for all of us. Now friends, God desires that all of us would get to the point where we would kind of be like a guy by the name of Paul who was in the Bible. Paul was a person who was far from God. God woke him up and he gave his entire life for the cause of Christ. And he eventually even died because he wanted to follow God so much. And as Paul grew up into his faith with God, he would often say to people who he was leading or reaching out to or helping, he would say things like this, Hey, if you're confused about this whole Christianity thing, just follow me because I'm following Christ. Now that's hard to say, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine going up to one of your friends and just saying, You know what? Just do everything that I do, say everything that I say, and your life will be good. Anybody ready to do that? Yeah, maybe not. Can you just imagine ever getting to the point where you would say that? Well, folks, at some level, God wants you to get to that point at some point in your life. Now, we, we know this can get very weird and controlling, and you can kind of manipulate people, and we don't want to do that. But ultimately, the stuff that we've learned in this thing called life is because we have seen somebody else doing it and we say, you know what? We want to be like that person. I like the way that that person combs their hair. Or I like the way that person drives. And pretty soon you start doing what they're doing. You mimic what the other person does. I mean, I learned how to pray because I saw someone else praying. I learned how to read the Bible because I saw someone else reading the Bible. I learned how to serve and I learned how to be a part of a small group because I saw other people doing that. And this whole idea of mimicking or modeling other people is exactly the leadership style that Jesus had. So for the rest of our time, I just want us to look at Three key things that Jesus did to lead people into a relationship with His Father. And uh, I'm going to kind of give us two biblical stories. I'm going to tell the stories so that you can see how it goes. Now, the first story I'm going to talk about is in the book of Mark, which is what we're going through right now as we uh, journey through the Bible. And so you can be a part of that process uh, by just signing up at the connections table. And in chapter 5 we begin with a really amazing story. Now, what I'd like to do is just kind of tell you what has preceded this story in Mark chapter 5. Because I think it is the craziest 24 hours that Jesus ever experienced in His human life. The night before, Jesus was teaching to a group of people. He was just hanging out. He was spending time with them. And that's the first thing that Jesus did as He led people into a relationship with God was He spent time with them. He hung out with them. He went to their turf and He spent time with them. He didn't come with rules and regulations and saying, Get your act together! He just came and He loved on them and He built a relationship and He spent time with them. 
And that must be our first step as well. You know, people never know how much you care. I always get this wrong. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it begins with you spending time with them. And so Jesus spends time with people, and that's how we get people connected to him. And then that night he falls asleep on a boat and his disciples, his followers, are all freaked out because there's a storm that comes up and Jesus says, winds and waves be still. And he changes everything to a calm, peaceful, kind of serene place. And then the next morning he goes to this creepy cemetery and there's this demon-possessed guy and Jesus casts the demons out of the man into a herd of pigs and the herd of pigs run off a cliff and drown into a lake of water. That sounds like a cool story, doesn't it? That's not what we're going to talk about today. Okay, you'll have to try that another time. And then Jesus is exhausted. He gets back into the boat and he goes across the lake exactly where he had started almost 24 hours before. And I can just imagine that Jesus is tired and He's exhausted. All of this has happened. He's gotten little to no sleep, according to the Bible, within the past 24 hours. And He steps off the boat and it's like Bono, you know? I mean, He's got rock star kind of mentality. People are all around and they're yelling His name. They're like, Jesus! Jesus! We love You! Jesus, come this way! And there's like this mob crowd that's all around Him. And he had popularity throughout his ministry in which Jesus was either a person that people wanted to kill or he was a person in which people wanted to crown him king. And at this point, he's very popular. I mean, the word had gotten out. Jesus just calmed the winds and the waves. He stopped everything on the lake. It's peaceful. People are like, Jesus, you the man. You know? And he gets off the boat, and it's like the paparazzi, you know, come. And they're all in, and they're trying to get closer and closer to him. And he's exhausted. And pretty soon his bodyguards, the disciples, are trying to kind of move him away a little bit so that Jesus can get through the crowd. And in the midst of all this, there's a man by the name of Jairus who kind of works his way up through the crowd, and he's kind of fighting his way through. And he goes, Jesus... Jesus, I know you are so busy, but my little daughter, she's on her deathbed. She's only 12 years old, and she's close to death. The doctors can't do anything. Would you just come to my house? Please, Jesus, just come to my house. If you touch her, maybe something will happen. And Jesus looks at the man with compassion in his eyes. He said, yeah, I'm going to your house. You lead the way. And so Jairus starts walking down and he's making his way and Jesus and the disciples are following right behind him. And the crowd is loud and everyone's yelling his name and it's like this mob scene and they're all pushing in on him. And then Jesus leans over to one of the disciples and says, Somebody touched me. And the disciples are like, Hey, it doesn't take the Son of Man to realize somebody touched you like we're in a mob, dude. People are all around you, Jesus. They're touching you all the time. 
But obviously, Jesus meant more than someone just touched him because he says again, someone touched my robe. The disciples are like, all right, Jesus, calm down. It's cool. We'll get you through. And then Jesus says this, and then it silences the crowd. Power left me. Now that's kind of weird because Jesus had never said anything like that before. And all of a sudden, you know, when he says that, people kind of step back. They're like, whoa. And Jesus is kind of baffled because he can't figure out who touched him. And then there's this little old lady that kind of emerges from the crowd. For 12 years, she has been battling internal bleeding. And the doctors haven't been able to help her. And she comes up and she's trembling, the Bible says, and weeping. And she confesses because she thinks that Jesus is mad at her. And she says, no one else could help me, Jesus. I've been to the doctors. I've done everything that I can, but no one can help. And I just thought to myself, if I could maybe touch your robe, that I might be healed. And so, Jesus, I'm sorry. I know I should have asked you first, but just in the moment, I just got close enough and I touched the robe. I'm so sorry. And Jesus turned to her and he said, your faith has made you well. God has taken away your pain, your hurt. He loves you so much. Go on now. And here and throughout the Bible is kind of the second way that Jesus leads people into a relationship with Him. And it's this. He showed love to other people. He shared love with other people. He just shared His love to other people. And as He shared this love, other people would see it and they were like, man, I want to follow Him. He shared love when He stopped the storm. He shared love when He cast the demon out of this man and it went into the pigs. And He shared love when He healed this woman. And we must do the same thing. You know, people are most attracted to people who are constantly sharing love with other people. They're like, I want to be like that. It captures their heart when you give your life away. Now, this story isn't done. I mean, Jesus is going to Jairus' house, right? And now all of this has happened. What's going to happen? And so Jairus comes back up and says, Jesus, that's great about this woman that you just healed, but please come to my house. Please hurry. And about that time, two of Jairus' friends come up and say, We're sorry, Jairus. Your daughter's dead. Let's not bother Jesus anymore. He's got a lot of stuff going on. And Jairus, who was kind of the pastor of his day, that reality just kind of hits him. And he's trying to hold back his emotions. And he just turns to Jesus and he says, You know, thanks for being willing. And Jesus stops him right then and he says, you stop that. Don't be afraid. You just believe. You get me to your house. Let's go see your daughter. And he does and Jesus arrives at the house and there are people outside and they're mourning the death. 
family and friends are crying out because this 12-year-old little girl, now she's dead. She's gone. And Jesus says, why are you weeping? She's just sleeping. And the Bible tells us that everyone started laughing at him. Why are you talking about Jesus? They laugh at him. And Jesus says, let's go. And Jairus and his wife take him upstairs to the place where his daughter's at, and they walk in. And Jesus says, only Peter, James, and John, the rest of you stay here. For whatever reason, Jesus only wanted those three to come with him. And can you imagine the feeling of Peter, James, and John? They've experienced this 24 hours of craziness, you know? I mean, they've seen these demon-possessed pigs foaming at the mouth, and they're like trying to take everything in, and people are getting healed. And Peter and James and John are like, whoa, now he wants to do this. They're thinking, it's a dead girl though, Jesus. I mean, can you really bring her back from the dead? So they get into the upper room and they walk over and Jesus touches the little girl's hand. And for some reason, only in the book of Mark, but in Mark... He gives us exactly the words that Jesus would have said in Aramaic. You see, what happened was, Jesus, that was the language He spoke, was Aramaic, but they wrote the Bible in Greek. It kind of be like all of us, you know, we speak English, but then someone would write down in Spanish the words that we said. That makes sense? And in Aramaic, Jesus says this, Talitha kum. Talitha which means little girl, and kum, which means wake up or get up. He says, Talitha kum, little girl, wake up. And the Bible says that she opened her eyes immediately and she started walking around the room. And I can just imagine that eventually she gets her eyes on her mom and dad and she goes over and there's her mom and dad and they're embracing her. And they're hugging her and they're loving her because they thought she was dead. Life was so fragile. And now all of a sudden, their little girl that they held in their arms is now alive again. And I imagine you see Peter, James, and John. They're over in the corner and they're like, Dude, the other nine are not going to believe this. I mean, the other nine... Can you imagine that we're even able to be here? Now, some of these guys went on to write books in the Bible. Do you think they took notes that day? No. You don't need to take notes, you know, when you experience your first resurrection from the dead. You know, like, I think that would stick in your mind. That would stay there for a very, very long time. You wouldn't need to write it down. And then Jesus says something crazy, and He says this throughout the Bible. He says, all right, let's not tell anybody. Like, if that was you or me, we'd be like, yo, look, bunch, hello, He's in the house, you know. Jesus is like, don't, no, 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 don't tell anybody. Just tell her that she was asleep, and then she woke up. And then He does what He does when He brings anyone back from the dead. He says, you know what, she's probably pretty hungry. Why don't you go feed her? And the story ends. Do you think Peter would remember that story? I have a feeling, I have proof in fact, 
that he remembered that story. A couple years later, Jesus dies. He's resurrected from the dead. He ascends back into heaven. And he tells Peter and the rest of the disciples to share the message with everyone else. And God then even allows him to do some of the miracles that Jesus had done. In Acts chapter 9, Peter heals a man who was paralyzed. And he turns to the man and he says, In the name of Jesus Christ, pick up your mat and walk. Exactly what Jesus had said just a few years before. And just as he's healing this man, just like Jesus had experienced, all of a sudden some people run up to Peter and they say, Peter, there's this woman named Tabitha or Dorcas. I think I would have picked Tabitha, you know, if I had my choice between the two. Dorcas or or Tabitha, she's died. She was a seamstress. She was a popular follower of Jesus. People loved her. And they're like, Peter, could you go do anything for us? Please help. And Peter had seen Jesus raise this little girl from the dead. But now it's, you know, it's a little bit different when now it's your turn to do that. You know, is he going to remember how to do everything? But the people want Peter to do something just like they wanted Jesus to do something. And so they took him to the room where this dead Tabitha is lying. And Peter asked everyone to leave the room. I mean, I'd do that too, you know. Man, Peter will do it. And you're like, Peter's like, whoa. I don't know if I have the Jesus power, you know. Everybody leaves. So if I screw up, I'll go, oh, I think she tripped over and, you know, hit her head or something. She was alive, but then she tripped. And so Peter gets everyone to leave. And you know what's so weird? That the story I just told you the details of what Peter does next are eerily similar. He goes to the little girl. He bends on his knees. He takes this woman's hand now, and then he prays. And he doesn't say Talitha kum, which do you remember what that meant? Little girl, wake up or get up. But he says Tabitha kum, just one letter different. He says Tabitha, wake up. And the Scripture says she opened her eyes and started walking around the room. And I have a feeling that Peter was going, I did that! No, no, no. God did that, but, you know, I was a part of the process. I mean, can you imagine Peter's brain as he's in that room by himself? Okay, Jesus did this and this and this and this. And then he took her hand and I'm going to pray in faith that she's healed. And that's the third thing that Jesus did when He led people into a relationship with His Father is that He showed them how to increase their faith. He showed people how to increase their faith. With Peter, Jesus spent time with him. He shared with him God's love to other people so he could see it. And then He showed them that He could have the faith that Jesus had. And then this goes on from Peter and Paul and Mary, not the group, okay? But Peter and Paul and Mary, and then some guy named Silas and Barnabas and Timothy and John, and it kind of ekes its way down to each person who's sitting in this chair right now. Because the reality is, folks, you didn't come into a relationship with God by yourself. Somebody led you. Somebody invited you. Someone connected with you. You're in this seat because somebody prayed for you. And Jesus is now asking you to do the same thing for two people. 
I'd like to uh, close by telling you the story about Sarah Tikolsky. Sarah was a um, softball player for Western Oregon University, and uh, they were playing Central Washington. Now, those aren't big, huge teams. Those are small teams. But uh, neither of these two teams had ever been to the championship game in the Division II finals. Now, Sarah was a backup player. In fact, her batting average was 140. If you know anything about baseball, it's not good. Okay, it's really, really bad. 140 means one out of every ten times you hit the ball. But in her senior year, she gets up to bat. She had never hit a home run the entire year. She gets up to bat. The pitch is done. She hits the ball, and she hits a home run with two people on base. And she starts running down to first base like a sprint. I mean, when you hit a home run, you know, guys are like, I'm bad, I'm bad, you know, I know I'm bad. That wasn't Sarah. She was like sprinting. And she's going so fast and she's so excited, she misses first base. Now, softball tells us that if you miss first base, that's all right on a home run. You just have to go back and touch it. And so she's got all her momentum going to uh, second base, but she has to go back to first. And when she turns to go like that, she tears her ACL. And I think there's a picture of Sarah right there, almost looking back. And softball rules state that if that happens, you can be awarded first base, but you don't get a home run. I mean, this is the only home run of her college career, four years, and now she's not going to be able to experience it. And to make it worse, if a trainer or a coach from your team goes out and you touch that person, they're automatically out. And so the coach and the umpire come out and they're discussing what to do. And Sarah's on the ground crying and sobbing, but no one can touch her because if they do, she's out. And then something uncharacteristic happens. A player from the opposing team, Mallory Holtman, comes up and says... Well, can we touch her? If we touch her, is she out? And the umpire's like, well, there's nothing in the rule books about that. I guess you can. And so Mallory and the shortstop of the opposing team pick Sarah up and they take her around the bases and with her good leg, she taps each base. And this is a home video, but I'd like you to just watch this for a second. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, especially if you're highly competitive. You hate this story. You do. But you know what? You're going to have to get over it. Because that right there, folks, is the best story I know of the picture that Jesus wants you to have for the two people 
that you put on your card today. You see, there are two people in your life that are going around the bases, but they're not doing it very well. And they need to have someone who would show them God's love enough to say, you know what? I don't have it all together either, but I know someone who can help your life. His name is Jesus. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to allow you to take your first step today. You can write their name down and at each of the different places you can see on the gym wall there are these pieces of paper. And in front of it is a box where you can just put your card in. And then I'm going to ask you to pick up a marker and I'd like you to write down just the first person's name. Not their whole name. Because you might put my name down. Then I'm going to freak out, okay? Just their first name. But you've had time to kind of do this. You know, somebody picked you up and took you around the bases one time. And now all of a sudden, God's asking you to do the same for two people. And so I'd invite you to do that, to go, put that in, just take a marker, write their first name down, and then come back to your seat and we'll close there. So you do this, we're going to sing a song, Friend of God. Um, just reminding us that um, we were all made friends of God and that's what we hope for everybody. Who am I that you are mindful of me? That you hear me? When I call Is it true that you are thinking of me of how you love me It's amazing Who am I that you are mindful of me That you
The, the reality is, folks, that there are names of people on each of these paper. That one day they'll be sitting in this chair next to you. I believe it with all that I am because, you see, a few years ago there were six people that sat in my living room. And I would have never thought I would see the day where we have the number of people that come now. But I want you to hear this from your pastor and your friend. That God's not done with the jar yet. And we're going to see something in this next year. Not because of me. Not necessarily because of any person here. But as a team, as we work together, lives will be changed for eternity. And we'll be grateful that you wrote somebody's name down today. In just a little bit, uh, there are five people that are going to go down uh, to uh, the pool. And uh, there were people that wrote their name down one time, and they'll be baptized into the faith. We're going to do the vows and everything kind of down there. And I know that each of you have things to go. You're probably like, oh, man, i got to get to lunch. And, all right, I put the name on the wall, dude. Is that enough? And I just want to tell you, for today, it's not. Next week, you can get up and leave early if you want. But for today, for these five people, as they take their vows, somebody put their name up on a wall one day. And today's the day that marks the beginning of their life with Jesus Christ as Lord. And you'll want to be there. So let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you so much for every single person in this place. May you bless them. May may you give them your strength. May they know that today that you are head over heels in love with them, regardless of the brokenness that's in their life. And God, that you would speak within them right now that the people that they wrote names up on these pieces of paper, that they would start praying for them this week. Not praying that all of a sudden they're coming next Sunday, but just praying that you would uh, soften their hearts, God. And Father, would you just move in the lives of the people that are on these walls so that as we look a year from now, 
those lives will be sitting in seats, not because we want to become the big church, but we want to become the church of changed lives. Where when people come, their lives are changed because of what you do, Jesus. And so God, now as we get ready to um, celebrate the lives of these five people who will uh, have their eternity changed, may we all come and celebrate with them down in the pool. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know you're loved in this place. We'll see you down poolside.